Well, I was surveying the kids a little bit before the service, but kids, I want to survey you and hear how many of you have no gifts left to open. You've opened all your gifts. Raise your hand if you've opened up all your gifts. Okay, I know my kids have. Uh, A few of you, so let me see some hands. How many of you still have gifts to open waiting for you when you get home today? All right, a good, a good amount. So it's, I'm, I'm seeing almost half and half. Uh, you know, I'm impressed, uh, particularly by those who had the self-control to, to wait until after church to open your gifts, or maybe you just slept in. Um, but it is, it is hard to wait. It is hard to wait. Even if you opened your gifts, you've been waiting for a long time um, to open those gifts. There has been so much, as there always is, anticipation uh, going towards Christmas. It is, sometimes I feel sorry for Christmas, honestly. I mean, all that, this buildup, all this hype, the anticipation seems to be building earlier and earlier every year, too. Uh, I know that Starbucks releases the holiday menu and the, the Red Cups as early as November 3rd. Our family, on the other hand, we, we, we try to wait. We try to wait until after Thanksgiving to pull out the Christmas dire- uh, decorations, to listen to the Christmas music, and watch the Christmas movies. Um, our, our family tries to contain Christmas. But here's what I've learned over the years. Christmas cannot be contained. It is a wild animal. No, it's, it's almost like, you know, a Polar Express train. It's uh, barreling down with lots of anticipation and eagerness and hope, enveloping us all in the smoke of sentimentalism and good cheer and happiness and times with family and gifts and Christmas movies and Christmas music and sugar and uh, holiday parties and time off school, time off work, all of this building up slowly but surely. The question is this. Can Christmas deliver? Is it going to hold up to all the hype? Is it all that it's cracked up to be? Well, kids, I have a little Christmas gift for you uh, today, especially if you're waiting to open gifts. This is going to be a shorter sermon than usual, as we're just going to kind of consider one main idea today. Um, you know, in thinking about, about Christmas and can it deliver on all the hype and expectation, it made me uh, think of a story that my dad often tells at this time of year from when, of his Christmas tragedy when he was a child. And uh, he, he's opening all his presents, and the presents are strewn about, and he's looking around at what he's gotten that year. And similar to what we were thinking about last night, he looks at his mom and he says, well, I must have not been very good this year because Santa didn't bring me anything that I wanted. Kids, if you feel disappointed by Christmas so far, if you opened your gifts and it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be, uh, this is why we're here this morning, right? To, to remember what Christmas is all about. We, it's easy amidst everything going on that I mentioned to forget the, what we're celebrating on, on Christmas. Uh, so we're here to remember together. And we're just going to use one simple sentence from the Bible to remember together what we're celebrating today. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Some of you are already thinking, yeah, preacher, I know what you're going to say. Christmas is all about Christ. It's in the name. It's kind of obvious. 
But here in Galatians 4, we see that God sent his son not only so that we could receive the great gift of of him, of, of redemption, but so that we could know a new identity as sons of God. God sent his son so that we could be called sons of God. So my prayer for us in this brief time together in God's word is that we would rejoice in this gift that is far better than advertised. So even with all the hype, I believe that Christmas is far better than advertised. Let's first consider how God advertised this and started building anticipation before the first Christmas when the time came to completion. Bobby Joe read earlier from Genesis 3, we heard of the curse that God brought on the earth because of humanity's rebellion against him. But in the midst of that curse, there was a promise. There was a promise that God would send offspring or son of the woman to to end the tyranny of the curse, to crush the serpent. And since Genesis 3 in the Old Testament, we see the story of great anticipation for when that son would come, when the curse would come to an end. We saw a lot of candidates over thousands of years. Would this be the son? Would this be the one who would end the reign of the serpent and bring a curse to the end? So from from Abel to Seth to Enoch or to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Samson to David to Solomon to Hezekiah to John the Baptist— Each son, each person, we're wondering, is this going to be the one? Is this going to be the son who will redeem us, who will ransom us, who will free us from the tyranny of the curse? But all these guys disappoint. They all sin, some in very dramatic ways, and they die. But even in amidst all this disappointment, there was prophecy of a better day, the great day of the Lord, The prophet Malachi proclaimed that God was preparing a great day of blessing and renewal for us, a day better than Christmas, Easter, Halloween, and your birthday all rolled into one, a day when when we would know the joy of the coming of the Lord and that we would be like, God's people would be like baby cows going out and dancing and rejoicing and jumping in the sun. But even with these promises, even with these prophecies, With time going on, it was easy to forget. It was easy to doubt the promise after so much time had passed. But in the darkness of night, a light shone. And when so many had forgotten, God sent his son, born of a woman. Kids, you know the story. You've heard it many times about how Jesus was born and placed in a manger but what does it really matter? The gifts under the tree seem so much better than this information about a child born 2,000 years ago. I mean, if we're being honest, right, it can seem better to have those gifts than this story that we keep on hearing about, about Jesus being born in a manger. But again, this is why we're here. This is why we're here not Uh, just to consider this wonderful gift from heaven, the Christmas miracle, 
but to consider what it means. Not just to retell an old story, but to consider what it means. You know, God could have come in all his glory and shown us his, his holiness, his majesty, but instead, the pre-existent, eternal God became the Son of Man. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a, a preacher, a late English preacher who we like to quote a lot here at Henson, uh, said it this way. Maybe it'll sound uh, partly familiar from last night. He said this about the miracle and the wonder of the incarnation. Is he not rightly called wonderful? Infinite and an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breasts, supporting the universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, king of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. Wonderful art thou, O Jesus, and that shall be thy name forever. God became like us so that he could be with us. He became familiar with us in the most intimate of ways. He didn't come as an otherworldly visitor to a distant planet, but he became like us in every way except for sin. He experienced loneliness. He experienced grief. He got tired. He got hungry. He knew loss. No one understands you like Jesus. No one understands your pain. No one understands what you're going through like the Son of God who became the Son of Man for our sake, who took on flesh forever to be with us forever. You know, this is, this is the message of Christmas. Christmas is the message of God the Son made like us so that he could be with us. But that's not all. We see in the next phrases that God is not only with us, but God for us. He was born under the law. Now we're all born under the law, whether you like it or not. The, the law implies this standard of justice, a set of requirements. We will all be judged, not by our own standards, our internal uh, sense even of right and wrong, or of the standards of our culture or our world. Uh, we will be judged by God. It makes sense. He is our creator. He will judge us. Um, and we get the sense that there will be a judgment, that there is right and wrong. God's law, in one sense, is written on our hearts. So parents, if you're watching uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas with your kids, you don't have to pause it and explain to your kids, as the Grinch is stealing Christmas, essentially, from Whoville, okay, kids, what the Grinch is doing right now is wrong, right? Uh, you, your kids understand that. You don't have to explain that to them. Even if there's no law in Whoville against stealing the roast beast, um, you know, we understand that it's wrong to steal the Christmas roast beast. We are born under the law, which is bad news for us because we're lawbreakers. We not only sin against the conscience, uh, our own consciences that God has given us, and uh, against some of us, against the laws of society, but we ultimately have sinned against God's law. So being under the law is bad news for us. But for God the Son, 
For Jesus, being born under the law was going to be what was going to lead to our redemption. The law for us is an obligation. The law for Jesus is his spontaneous joy. Jesus is the most joyful person who has ever lived. And you, could think, you might think, well, how could that be if he too was under the law? Because he fulfilled the law. He was perfectly obedient to the law. It was his joy to obey the Father. He saw himself as a servant of his heavenly Father. He's the most obedient person who ever lived because he was perfectly obedient. And that made him the most joyful person who's ever lived. But Jesus didn't come just to show off. He didn't come just to show us some immeasurable standard by which we compare ourselves to and grow discouraged or to merely lead by example. Jesus was perfectly obedient to do this, to redeem those under the law. You know, earlier in the book of Galatians, back in chapter 3, Paul writes this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And friends, this is the good news of the gospel, that God, the Son, would live the perfect life that you and I should have lived in joyful obedience to the Father. And then, as I read in Galatians 3.13, he would die the death that you and I deserve to die under God's judgment when he died on the cross. This is why Jesus being born is good news. This is, this is the gift, the gift of our redemption that God holds out to you this morning, on Christmas morning. You know, last night we considered that this is a gift that we might not know that we need. We might not think we need redemption. I feel like I'm doing okay compared to other people. I feel, feel like things are going well. But this is the gift that we all desperately need. And once we see this gift for what it is, once we receive that gift, we see that we can't do without this gift of redemption. So many of us, we agree with this good news, but do we receive it by faith each day? Do we walk trusting that this alone is our hope and joy? You know, maybe you're here this morning and you have, have wandered from the Lord Maybe you received, you understand yourself to have received this gift at one time, maybe in your life. But you haven't been, been walking in, in faith, in repentance towards God, trusting him, rejoicing in him. Don't let the gift of redemption through Christ be like a gift unwrapped under the tree. You know it's there, but it just sits there, ignored left to the side, you become distracted by other gifts, not receiving that gift through Christ. Today is the day to open that gift. Christ offers his life for yours. But it's hard. It, it, it will mean coming to an end of ourselves. It will mean believing that we are far worse than we think we are but that God's gift of redemption is so much better than we could ever hope or dream. 
Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. Again, I would love nothing more to talk to you more about the redemption that we can know in Christ. I would gladly delay my Christmas lunch plans to talk to you about this greatest gift that we consider on Christmas. Well, if, if Christmas is about sins forgiven, slates wiped clean, being made right with God, accepted by God because of Jesus born in a manger, you know, Christmas would be all that plus a bag of chips, as people used to say. But so far, we've, we've sold Christmas still a little bit short. It's even better than we've let on. We have one last phrase that tells us why Bethlehem not only matters, but why it is so much better than advertised. God saves the best gift for last, and that's what we're going to consider in the final phrase in Galatians 4, 5, so that we might receive adoption as sons. What is a Christian? We can answer that question in many ways. But J.I. Packer, Packer, a respected theologian, he writes that a Christian, the richest answer that we know of what a Christian is, is one who has God as Father. If we consider the storyline of Scripture, we see in the Old Testament, God is holy, 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 separate from us, transcendent. But because of Christmas, because of the gift of our adoption, our holy God is also our Father God. I think our adoption as sons of God is the highest privilege that the gospel of Jesus Christ offers us. Redemption frees us from slavery, but our adoption changes who we are. It gives us a new identity. Christmas gives us the gift of a new identity in Christ. It gives us a whole new life. It's not a Christmas movie, but this made me think of the movie Shawshank Redemption. Um, Most of the movie takes place in Shawshank Prison, but we see a couple of characters released from prison after many decades spent behind bars. But those characters struggle with life on the outside after being so shaped by their time in prison. One of the characters on the outside even despairs of life itself. He doesn't know who he is on the outside. But then we see the main character, Andy, for many years, he plans his escape. And he not only plans his escape, but he plans his life, what his life will be on the outside. And when he escapes, he literally emerges with a new identity. And a a glorious future spent with his best friend. He had it all planned out. A life that probably seemed impossible on the inside. He, He lives on the outside as a new man. You know, our enslavement to sin, believe it or not, 
is worse than being imprisoned in Shawshank and greater than escaping Shawshank or Alcatraz is our redemption in the gospel. Because in the gospel, we are declared right with God, ransomed. But then, if that weren't enough, we are called sons of God. And the, and the, son of God, the sons of God tell of a, the inheritance that we will receive, the inheritance of the Son himself. This is more than a luxurious retirement or future, but we're given a new life. As, as 1 John 3, 1 says, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we could be called children of God, and that is who we are. This is who God has made you to be, a child of God, a son of God. What could be a better Christmas gift than this? a new identity today with an eternal inheritance with Christ tomorrow. The joy of anticipating your life as a child of God, a son with all the rights and privileges of the son. This future is way better than advertised. No amount of hype can measure up to this for we get to know and be known by God the Father and know all his good gifts which flow from him. Inevitably, during Christmas time, even maybe right now, many of you are thinking of your families. This is a time we think about family a lot. The family that we're with, uh, the family that we miss, maybe the family that we're estranged from. Uh, kids, once again, if you are with family today, cherish that good gift. That is a good gift to be with your parents or your grandparents. Uh, to know the joy of opening up presents, having good food, uh, together as a family. We are meant to enjoy this time, if you have the privilege of being with family today or with church family, as a good gift from God. But those, those moments, as some of you know all too well, uh, will not last forever. Those moments with biological family, uh, sometimes over the years, they, they break down. People die. Uh, we are separated that, by them from dis, by distance or illness, by conflict. How does the fact that we can be called sons of God change our perspective in that sorrow and that loss? And how does the joy of being with family help us anticipate being with God? when the time with family will not be able to even hold a candle to the reunion that we will have when God the Father welcomes us home through our brother, Jesus Christ. So how will you live as a child of God today? How will your identity, if you are in Christ, shape how you think about today, this next week, if God gives it to us, this next year, how, will, how do you plan to enjoy your adoption? How will, how will it shape your perspective in hard circumstances and frustration and discouragement and loneliness? One, one way that I'd recommend meditating on who you are in Christ, 
is reading this classic book that, we've, that I've quoted from already in this sermon at least a couple times called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Many of us have a, this book on our shelves, but many of us haven't read it. If you're going to read one section, I'd recommend reading the chapter on how we are sons of God. It's called Sons of God. Uh, I think we have it on our book stall. This, this book, over one million sold whenever this, uh, this edition was released, it's better than advertised. So maybe a good plan in the new year to read this or another good Christian book with a member of the church to, not just for educational purposes, but to remember, to rejoice, to meditate on who we are in Christ. We want to be looking as a church for every opportunity to remember who we are in Christ. Um, and it can, be, it can be hard at times. You know, I, ironically, I think one time, uh, or a particular time, especially in the past, that I struggled to remember who I was um, in Him is after preaching. Uh, on Sunday, sometimes I would go home after preaching here in this pulpit, if I'm just being honest, and I'd feel a little discouraged because I'd feel like, oh, that sermon was a dud. <laughs> or af- after teaching the youth or something, I was like, oh, man, I put all that work into it, and it was kind of like, eh. Uh, but then, you know what helped me, just practically, is I'd go home, and in God's kindness, he's given me a family. And uh, I, would, I would play with my kids or look at them or, or, or be with my wife, and I'd remember that no matter how much I failed, I am still dad to Sam Irison Willa. I am still Ashley's husband. And they, they love me, not because of what I do, uh, but because of who I am to them. And I trust that one of the things I try to tell our kids on a regular basis is that I will always love them. They will always be my kids, no matter what they do, no matter the life choices that they make. And of course, if you're a parent or in any family relationship, you understand that. Well, if that's true, in the biological family, and it isn't always true, depending on the family that you come from, but how much more would God our Father accept us, not because of our spiritual performance, not because of how many times we go to church or how many devotional times we had with him this last year, but that he would accept us on the basis of the son's righteousness, the son's obedience to the law, and how the son redeems us from our sin through his blood. Our identity in Christ doesn't mean that the loneliness, the discouragement, the pain, the illness will go away. But if you are a son of God, you will know not only who you are in that pain, but whose you are. And nothing can change that. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, because this is who you are. If God would come down and be like us to make us like his son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Not least of which, a new standing with him and a glorious future filled with the joy of the anticipation and expectations uh, that expectations could never approach. No matter how great you think it's going to be to be with God in Christ in eternity, It's going to be a million times better. Friends, the first Advent is better than advertised. And it's just the beginning. Would you join me in prayer?
Heavenly Father, we praise you once again as the Son of Righteousness, the heaven-born Prince of Peace in the person of your Son. You bring light and life to those who come to an end of themselves and accept the gift of your righteous life, the redemption that can only be ours through your Son, Jesus, by faith. We praise you as Jesus as the eternal Son who laid down your glory and died so that we no more may die and taste the second death, but be raised with you to eternal glory in your presence. So, Father, help us to know the joy of the second birth today. And, Lord, we pray for those who are even here with us now and those who our hearts go out to today, that they would know the joy of the second birth, that they would give glory to Jesus, our newborn King. Lord, who do we have in heaven but you? Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and forever. Amen. Merry Christmas.